So what we've done is we followed Ephesians chapter 5, starts in verse 22 by saying, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And I just want to add one word to that before we move on to husbands. There is a typical, a popular idea in our culture that love should be unconditional, but respect should be earned. And that is absolutely wrong. That's why Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands in all things. Just as he's about to say, husbands, love your wives at all times. It's the job of the husband to love the wife even when she is unlovable. And it's the job of the wife to respect her husband even when he is unrespectable. Both love and respect in marriage must be unconditional. Not earned, never earned, but always freely given as a benevolent gift. Now, I'm going to focus on husbands here, and I want to say a number of things to husbands. I want to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. We all know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, most of us know that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul is speaking of love. And it's the love chapter. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm just like a clanging brass or a tinkling cymbal. It's like, it's as if he's saying, you know, he says, you can speak in all kind of tongues and prophesy. You can lay hands on the sick and heal them. You can go to church and know every song. You can tithe. You can give. But if you don't have love, all it is in heaven is like going into this drum cage, taking the sticks and just hitting the cymbals. Crash, crash, crash. That's all God hears. Crash, crash. I love you, Lord. Crash, 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 crash. You know, when you hear symbols that are just crashing, and cr- it just gets on your nerves. God says, keep all that tongues. I want to see some love. Quit all that quoting scriptures and acting like you're, you know, you're so spiritual and go home and love your wife. I want to see some love. And so Paul is getting ready to define love, and he he defines it so beautifully, but so devastatingly. Love is patient. Means I can't get frustrated. Because the opposite of frustration is patience. The opposite of patience is frustration. Love is kind. The opposite of kindness is rudeness. And patience and kindness go together because I lose kindness when I lose patience. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. That is, it is not a selfish bastard. I say to my wife's credit that she wasn't always wrong with that assessment of me. It is not easily angered. I love my wife, but she gets on my nerves. Well, love is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. I remember what she did to me in our second year of marriage. You've been married 26 years, and you remember what she did in the second year of marriage. 
It does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And it always, one of the things we teach married couples is never say never or always. But I want to qualify that today and say never say never or always in a critical, in a critical context. As in, you never do this, and you always do that. Never say that in a critical way. But there is a sense in which it is very appropriate to say never and always. I will never leave you, and I will always protect you. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. If you say, I love my wife, that means you must always hope. And what we tend to give up at a certain point when the pain gets so intense in marriage is we give up hope. She's going to be this way for the rest of our lives. I, I don't, she's never going to change. But love always hopes. That is, it always expects that God is getting ready to come on the, on the scene and flip the script on whatever the devil has done to try to destroy you. It always hopes. It never gives up hope. And it always endures or it always perseveres. And that is why love never fails. The problem is that we have defined love in our culture selfishly. When a man says to a woman, I love you, what he typically means is, I need you. I want you. I desire you with the, from the depths of my being. And if we translate that down even further and reduce it to lowest terms, it means this. I have certain needs that nobody else has been able to meet in my life, and I believe you are the one to meet them. And so I need you, and I'm inviting you to come into my life and meet those needs that I have. I need you. We define love selfish, selfishly. selfishly. You are a means to an end in my life. You are the means by which I get my needs met. And that's what it means that I love you. And typically at a certain point when, when, it, when couples say to each other, I don't feel that love for you anymore. What they mean is, I'm disillusioned because you didn't meet the needs I thought you would meet. So I don't feel love for you anymore. Because I've hoped for all these years that you would meet my needs and you failed to meet them again and again and again and again. So I don't think I love you anymore. But it's a completely different definition of love. Love is not first and foremost a feeling. It is a decision and it is a commitment to be patient and kind. Never envious or boastful. You know, husbands, we can envy our wives. How can I envy my wife? How can I be jealous of my wife? Because she always gets it her way. And she's always right. Can't I be right at least once? You know, it used to be for the longest time, I would fast and I would pray and cry out to God and my wife would get all the answers. The Lord would speak to her. And she'd come to, the Lord just spoke to me while I was vacuuming. While you were vacuuming, I'm in the room crying out to the Lord and praying, and you're vacuuming and just hearing from heaven. Lord, can't you tell me sometimes? Why you got to tell her all the time? Sometimes as husbands, we can feel like it's a double standard in this marriage. It's a double standard. If I were to say that to her, what she just said to me, 
she would flip out. But me, I'm supposed to just take it because I'm the man. It's a double. I wish I could be her for a day. Hmm? But love does not envy. And Paul, he comes to the end of this passage with verse 11, and he says this. And this is directed at husbands. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I spoke like a child. I understood like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish things away. You know what Paul is saying? Paul is saying love is for grown folks. The kind of love he's talking about here, children can't do it. Children do love, but children love very selfishly. They're still learning. That's the beginning of love. It's Aletheia loves. She loves us intensely, but she cannot separate her love for us from our meeting of her constant needs. She feels deep love for us because we meet her needs every single day. And if there's something she wants that we don't give her, she doesn't feel that love. She can stop and scream, throw a fit. Why? You're not meeting my needs. You're not giving me. And she has these words that she says. She'll say things like, you're not helping me. You're not feeding me. You're not changing me. You're not listening to me. Whatever it is she needs, she demands it. And that's what love is. Love is you meeting my needs. And that's the way a child thinks. Paul says, I'm not talking about childish love. We talk about childlike faith, not childlike love, childlike faith, two different things. Childlike faith says, I trust you. Mommy, daddy, I just trust you. But childlike love is childish. I need you to meet my needs. And what tends to happen in marriage is that what's really happening is God is inviting us men to actually grow out of our boyhood and become men. Because while we're still in our boyhood, we simply expect our wives to take care of us the way our mommies did. We thought what we were getting was a lover and a cook and a maid and a therapist and a personal assistant and a career coach, a confidant, someone to take care of us. I used to say that. I need a woman to take care of me. Before I got married, I used to say, Lord, give me a woman to take care of me, not realizing how childish that is. A little boy needs a woman to take care of him. But a man takes care of a woman. And so Paul says in Ephesians 5, verse 25, husbands, love your wives. You know, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not self-seeking. It is not rude. It is not proud. It's not easily angered. It takes no delight in evil, but, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always uh, hopes. It always endures. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Husbands, do all that for your wives. 
And then if he couldn't get any more explicit, he says, and do it the way Christ loved the church. And if that's not specific, because we might think, well, you know, what did he do? Well, he fed the hungry and, you know, so I'll just give her some food when she's hungry. No, and gave himself for her. The specific aspect of Christ's love for the church that husbands are to emulate before their wives is his self-giving, self-sacrificing love. Husbands, love your wives by dying for them. And we look at these two commands. They seem to be in, in conflict with one another, don't they? Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, love your wives. You ever come to a situation where you had to stop and say, is this a situation in which I'm supposed to love my wife or in which she's supposed to submit to me? And we think it's kind of 50-50. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. This time you submit, next time I'll die. And it's not 50-50, it's 100-100. The wife submits to the husband in all things, and the husband loves his wife and gives himself for her, period. So what does that mean as a husband? It means that my demand for the submission of my wife is always in keeping with the demand upon my life to give myself for her. Meaning, if I am in the process of giving myself for her, then I can demand her submission to that self-giving. Baby, I'm going to do this for you. She says, no, I don't want you to know you're going to submit. I'm, you are, I'm calling you to submit to me in this. I can demand submission. Why? Because it's in the giving of myself. But if it actually alleviates the need for me to give myself for my wife, I have no right to demand submission for her. I cannot let myself off the hook of giving myself for my wife in order to demand her submission. My job is to give myself for my wife. But I can only give myself for my wife if I first possess myself. You can't give what you don't own. You can't give what you don't possess. I have to have myself in order to give myself. And so what we're talking about is coming to maturity. I have to come to maturity and become a man before I can give myself for my wife. And the difference between a man and a boy, I began to say it already, is that a boy always needs. A boy is always in need and always feeling like he's not getting what he needs and always wanting, Mommy, can I do this? Mommy, can I have that? Daddy, can you give me this? Daddy, can I have that? A boy never feels like he possesses anything. He's always at the mercy of the people around him to meet his needs. Mommy, please. Daddy, please. Mommy, please. Daddy, please. And then we get married and we're still little boys and we're going, Baby, please. Please, baby. Please. And then we're mad if our wives. (laughs) We're mad if our wives don't want to do something that we want to meet our needs. We're mad. Well, see, this isn't right. She's not submitting to me. This isn't right. She's not giving me what I need. This isn't right. She's not taking care of me. You're a little boy. When Paul talks about the difference between maturity and immaturity, he's talking about the difference between being in the spirit 
and being in the flesh. Spiritual maturity is simply walking in the spirit. Spiritual immaturity is simply walking in the flesh. Well, what's the difference? He said that we're to put off the old man, which grows corrupt according to its deceitful desires, and put on the new man, which was created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Let me tell you the difference. The old man, that is that flesh life, is always needing, always feeling incomplete, always craving more, never fulfilled. But I know I'm in the spirit when I'm in the new man, when I feel full. I feel full. I have been given fullness in Christ. And I know when I come to that place of fullness in Christ, because I'm not at home thinking about what I need from my wife, the only thing I'm thinking about is what my wife needs from me. When I give no thought to what I need, it's only what does my wife need? What does she need? Why? Because the scripture says the husband is the head of the wife, and that means the husband is not only in charge, but completely responsible. It means she is my complete responsibility. It means that I have a responsibility before God to handle whatever comes into her life. If something goes wrong in her life, she is supposed to turn to me and put a demand on the anointing on my life and say, you are my head, fix this. I need you to handle this. I need you to do this. She's supposed to need. She's supposed to depend on me. She has a biblical obligation not to be self-sufficient, but to depend upon me to meet her needs. She should be able to say, baby, I need you to run to the store and get this, even if it's 1 o'clock in the morning. Baby, I'm hungry. I need you to go down to in and out and get me this, whatever it is. She should, be, she should be able to expect me to carry all the groceries. No, baby, I don't need you to carry anything. I got it. Instead of me pulling up at the house and say, baby, run in and grab this for me. Treating her like my personal assistant. Now, wait a minute. Doesn't this seem to flip the script on the popular view of what marriage is? Isn't the wife supposed to be the helpmate? Right? She's my helpmate. She's my helpmate. She's my helper. Right? She's, that's what the Bible says, that God gave Eve to Adam as a helper, a helpmate. She's my personal assistant. She's there to help me. I'm there to do, and she's there to help. And that's what it means to be a wife, right? No. That's not even what the Bible says. Find me the word helpmate in the Bible. It's actually not there anywhere. Anywhere. In any translation. You can look at it in the, in the Hebrew. You can look at the Septuagint. Look at it in the Greek. You can look at it in the Arabic. And in every English translation, the word helpmate is not there. It's help meet, which means suitable. The word in the Hebrew is ezer. And it literally means rescuer. God said, it's not good for Adam to be alone. I will give him an ezer, a rescuer, a suitable helper. And what does she rescue him from? His aloneness. It's not subjugation. Well, it says, the Bible says help, helper. Yes, but over and over again in the Old Testament, especially that word ezer is used for God. David says, Lord, you are my help. And he does not mean you are my personal assistant. 
who is subordinate to me. It means you're my rescuer. It means when I'm in trouble, you're there. Listen, husbands, we are married because God saw that we couldn't make it on our own. And so he said, I need to send somebody to rescue you from this. And literally what our wives are there to rescue us from is our childishness, our boyishness, because there's areas of childishness that I would never have grown out of had I not had a wife next to me to demand it. She had to demand that I become a man. I remember a week before we got married, my father came down to Pasadena. We were living in Pasadena at the time. We got married in the Bay Area. My dad comes down and he says, Benjamin, you and I are going to spend the day together. He flew down from the Bay Area, rented a car and came and picked me up. And he and I spent the whole day together. And he shared some things with me that day that stuck in my mind to this day. The most important thing he said to me, I didn't I didn't understand the full import of it at the time, but I understand it now. He said, son, the most important thing you can do as a husband is guard your heart against every form of bitterness. Do not allow your heart to become bitter towards your wife. He said, because bitterness in the first year of your marriage can destroy it in the 15th year of your marriage because it'll grow in your heart. Guard your heart against it, whatever she does. He says, I don't care what she does or what she says or how hurt you are by it. Do not allow bitterness in your heart. And what I realized is that bitterness is the stuff of babes, infants. Bitterness stems from the idea that I did not get what I needed. And I'm mad at you for it. I'll never forget that you said this about me. You did this to me. That I asked you for this and you didn't give it to me. I'll never forget. And bitterness is the sign that I'm still a child. Because I still feel that I need. I need. I need. In order to be a real husband, I've got to live out Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I'm not going to walk around my household wanting, needing, craving, desiring. I'm not going to make, because see, the thing is, when we put ourselves in that place, husband, husbands, when we put ourselves in that place and we approach our wives in that way, and they feel this neediness coming from us, they feel like our mothers. And you wonder why it's affected your sex life. Because nobody wants to have sex with their son. With that kind of neediness in our minds and in our hearts, what we do is we actually demote ourselves. And we make it almost impossible for our wives to submit to us and respect us. Because they're supposed to submit to us and depend on those who are actually, we're actually telling them, I'm, I'm dependent upon you and submitted to you because I need this from you. And then they're supposed to submit to us. What they're submitting to is neediness. So we got to grow up. Now, I'm speaking real hard, aren't I? Sounds like I got this down, right? No. I'm growing into this. I got a story to tell you. 
<laughs> About uh, just a few months ago, I got real busy. Church, Abba You, Abba Conference, covering people around the world. I'm so important. I'm so busy. And in the midst of that time, my wife got sick. But see, I didn't have time to take some time to come alongside my wife and to nurse her, to care for her during her time of sickness. I get up in the morning. She understands I got to go to the office, right? And I come home at night. She understands I got to sleep because I got to get up early tomorrow morning. I got a long day ahead of me. And it had been building up to a head for her over months. I just was not caring for her. And so my wife said to me one day, we got into a big argument. She sent me a text message actually the day before and said, I'm very hurt because she had asked me for one thing and I failed to do it because I was so busy. And she sent me a text message. I said, I'm very hurt that you didn't do this for me. I said, are you serious? This, this is my response. Instead of baby, I'm so sorry. My response was, are you serious? Don't you know what I got on my plate? Don't you know what I have to do? And so when we got, when we got, when I got home that night, it was on. (laughs) She said to me, we need to go see Pastor Daniels right now. See, the most dangerous thing for a husband is having a pastor. Because when your wife pulls that card, when she pulled that card, I knew I was in trouble. I knew there is no way he's going to side with me on this one. (laughs) <laughs> I knew I knew that the end had come, <laughs> that it was over. But I said, okay, okay, let's, let's go, let's go. So we go to Pastor Daniel's office, and uh, Alethea was playing around. So I took her in the other room. I said, I'll let you talk first. And so she shared. She poured out her heart. So I came to Pastor Daniel and said, Benjamin, come in here and sit down. I came in and sat down. He said, man of God. He always calls me man of God. Man of God, you are wrong. You are absolutely wrong. And Sonny said, well, wait, baby, baby, don't you want to share your side? He goes, no, I don't need to hear Benjamin's side. He said, I'm not going to even give Benjamin a chance to speak. It don't matter to me what he says. I'm going to say the same thing to him when he's done. You are wrong, man of God. You are wrong. I said, and he said, you, you are going to have to figure out how to meet her needs. I said, but I don't know what she needs. He said, then man of God, you go get in your prayer closet and get before the Lord and find out. You're going to have to find out. You are the head. It is your responsibility to meet her needs and to make provision for her. And your ministry does not come first. She comes first. And I said, but when I was sick, she didn't take care of me. See how childish I'm acting? Now, this isn't years ago. This is a few months ago. She didn't take care of me when I was sick. He said, I don't care what you think you needed and didn't get. Your job is to take care of her, period. I don't ever want to hear that from your mouth again. It's not about your needs. You're going to have to learn how to let the Lord meet your needs. And you're going to have to figure out how to meet her needs. And then he looked at my wife and said, and Sonny, you deserve it. You deserve it. You are too precious to be treated like this. From now on, whatever you need, you're going to demand it from this man. And I will see to it that he does it. I know he's going to do it. Oh, I will make sure he does it. He will get so help me. He's going to give you what you need. 
And then he looked at me and said, man of God, you're going to do it. You know what I did? I sat there and cried. I'm serious. I sat there and cried. I thought this is wrong. What about my needs? I need some stuff too. Who's going to take care of me? Who's going to love me? This is wrong. I can't even say nothing. I'm trying to hold in the tears because I'm a man, right? And then the tears just started flowing. You know when the tears just kind of break through your eyes when you're trying to, you know, and they just break through and they're rolling? I'm sitting there going, I'm 36 years old. I'm sitting here crying like a little baby. What in the world is wrong with me? You know, I was in pain for three days after that. But the following Monday morning, the Lord started speaking to me. And this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, son, I allowed you to go through this because I had to bring out that little boy that's always been in you. That little boy can't handle what I'm about to give you. That's why I got to grow him into a man in this season. The man can handle, the man that I created you to be can handle what I'm about to give you, but I can't let you go into it as a boy. So now you must grow up. Now, that was the revelation. That doesn't mean the process was complete. I still am growing into that revelation. So let me tell you how it played out for me. We go to Korea. We're on vacation, right? We're in Korea. And this is my experience. And my wife's experience will be totally different. My experience, my wife is going, baby, carry Alethea. Take her to the bathroom. Change her. Rock her. Put her to sleep. And get me this. And get me that. And give me some of this. And give me some of that. And go do this. And go do that. And at first, I'm like, yes, sir. I can handle this, sir. Yes, sir. But after a few days, I started getting, okay, this is getting kind of tiring. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like she did nothing. But she was taking, she was in submission to Pastor Daniel's words. He said, demand it. She said, I'm going to demand it. And even, especially when we went to Kajay and we were visiting her, our friend Hejung there. Like, Baby, you walk with Alethea. And her and Hejung are just walking off and going shopping. And I'm carrying Alethea. And after, you know, a full day of that, I'm like, I'm tired. I got to carry her all the time. And you're not helping. And I got to take her to the bathroom every time. I remember it came for a head for me when we got to Pusan. And it was a Sunday. And I was tired. And we went to the fireworks show that night. and. Uh, we were walking through the streets. It was real crowded. And for most of the day, I, I, except I preached during the service, and my wife carried Alethea during that time. But afterwards, she goes, here you go. And I took her, and I held her, and napped her, and took her to the bathroom, and took her to the bathroom again. And we get back to the condo we were staying at, and Sonny goes, go ahead and give her a bath. I said, okay. I'm thinking, I get her ready. You put her to sleep. So I give her a bath. I come out. She goes, there's your pajamas. Put, her on, put them on her. So I put the pajamas on her. And then she goes, Thank you. Good night. Turns off the light, goes in the other room and closes the door, leaves me in there with the Lathia. And I hear her turn on the TV. I'm thinking, I want to watch TV. I'm tired. Two days before I had called Pastor Daniels and told him I'm struggling. I'm trying to die to myself, but I'm struggling. You know, I know you told me I got to die and I'm trying to die and get my wife, but I'm struggling to die. And he goes, Benjamin, the problem is you're too stubborn. 
So Jesus didn't call, Jesus only hung on the cross for six hours and then he went ahead and died. You've been on this cross for weeks. Somebody's going to have to come break your legs. Just go ahead and die and stop dying. The Lord isn't calling you to an extended process of suffering. Just die and get down off that cross and move on. And while he's saying that, I lost reception and the FaceTime just cut out. I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so here it is that night. I'm trying to rock Alethea to sleep and she's kicking because she doesn't want to sleep. And I can tell by the way she is when I'm rocking her how long it's going to take me. And my mind immediately calculated 45 minutes. I'm going to have to rock her for 45 minutes. And I was frustrated and I was angry and I felt used. I felt like nobody's meeting my needs. I'm not getting what I need. I was frustrated and I was upset and I stopped. I said, Lord, I need you to help me right now. I need you to help me get into the spirit. Because I know the Holy Spirit is not frustrated right now. He's not upset. He doesn't feel used. And so I can't be in the spirit and feel these things. Notice Jesus on the cross wasn't up there going, oh, this is just great. All I did was love you guys and care for you and heal your sick. You, I fed, you were there when I fed the 5,000. Now you're going crucify, crucify him. Fine, next time I ain't feeding you nothing. Instead, he was on the cross going, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. You know why he was able to do that? Because of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says, through the eternal spirit, he offered himself unblemished to God. He was in the spirit even on the cross. Even when he was being betrayed, he was in the spirit. And the spirit didn't feel like he just got screwed. The spirit knew that God was in Christ reconciling the world for himself. He knew it was a powerful moment. And so I said, Holy Spirit, I need you to give me your perspective on this moment. Because I see it as a thing that's been done to me. But you don't see it that way. Could you show me the way you see it? And all of a sudden, the Lord started speaking to me. He said four things. Number one, the reason your wife loves to see you carry Alethea, and she's been giving Alethea a lot to you over the last several days, is because she never had a dad to carry her when she was Alethea's age. And she loves to see Alethea get what she didn't get. I went, oh, 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 so it's not like she's milking what Pastor Daniel said. See, in my mind, I had judged her character. My wife is doing this to me. The Lord said, that's not what's happening at all. Number two, your wife carried Alethea in her womb for nine months with no break, and you didn't help. And nearly gave her life to bring Alethea into this world. You should be thankful to give your wife a break instead of acting like she's doing something to you. I went, you know, Lord, that that's true. You know, that makes sense. I should never complain about having to hold my daughter because my wife doesn't want to hold. I should never complain about that. That's a privilege. I should be supporting my wife and and lifting her up. And I should be giving her whatever break she needs. Baby, whenever you need a break, let me know. I'll take it. That should be my heart. Third thing the Lord said to me, with all this frustration in your heart, if you hold your daughter like that, she'll never find security in your arms. And if she doesn't find security in your arms, she'll always search for it in the arms of another man, and she'll never find it. You're raising a fornicator. 
if you don't get this right in your heart. I thought, oh, wait, oh, I will never hold my daughter with frustration in my heart again. Oh, baby, I'm so glad to hold, I'm holding my daughter. I'm like, baby, I'm rocking you. I'll rock you anytime. You want me to hold you? I'll hold you. Baby, I love you. Oh, baby, you're secure. I'll hold you as long as you want. You want me to lay you down? No, no, hold you. Okay, I'll hold you. I got you. I got you, baby. I got you. And then the last thing the Lord said to me, he said, your wife has trouble sleeping at night. It's because she didn't have a father to teach her to sleep the way you're teaching your daughter to sleep. I want you to help your wife go to sleep every night, not just your daughter, but I want you to help your wife go to sleep every night and see it as your responsibility to help your baby sleep and your wife sleep every night. I said, okay. All right, you see that? My heart completely changed in a moment. In a moment, my heart completely changed. My daughter went to sleep so peacefully. I laid her down. I was singing over her and praying over her and speaking in tongues over her. She tries to speak in tongues back now. Sonny and I were praying in the car for something the other day, and she started going, Jesus, 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 Shandamaka, Shandaba, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> I put Alethea down. I went in the other room to my wife. I said, baby, thank you so much. She said, for what? I said, for giving me the greatest gift that anybody could have given me. You carried Alethea in your womb for nine months. You nearly gave your life to bring her into the world. I am eternally grateful. Here I thought I was being mistreated. Actually, I was being a child. Here I thought I was being neglected. Actually, I was being a child. Husbands, love your wives. Give yourself for her. But in order to give yourself for her, you have to come to that place of fullness and completeness in Christ where you grow up and recognize, I don't need anything. I'm not in this relationship for what I can get out of it from my wife. When I say I love you to my wife, I don't mean you still are able to meet my needs. When I say I love you to my wife, what I mean is I am still committed to giving myself for you every day. Husbands, love your wives in a self-giving way, not selfish way. Love your wives. Give yourself for her. And in the process of giving yourself for your wife, You can demand her submission. Baby, I'm going to give you everything, and you're just going to receive it. You're not going to question it. You're going to submit when I give myself to you. This is the will of the Lord. And this is what brings our households into order. And this is what makes us a man in the eyes of our wife. My wife sees me as a man when she sees that I have transcended my personal needs and that all I see is how to care for her and how to care for my daughter selflessly. When she sees that, she sees me as a man that she can't wait to submit to. She can't, she desires to give herself to me in every way when she sees that. And I'll, but I'll end with this. Pastor Daniels always says, 
that the biblical mandate is for the husband to give his, his life for his wife. But the most typical way it's done in our culture is the wife gives herself for her husband. In order for a marriage to work, somebody has to die. But it's typically the wife who dies. She dies to her hopes and her dreams so that her husband can have his. She dies to her needs and to her wants so that her husband can have his. She dies to her calling and her ministry so that her husband can have his. She dies to everything that's been inside of her from the time she was little so that her husband can, ha- can have everything that's been inside of him from the time he was little. And we think it's right. I'm telling you it's not right. We can't let our wives die anymore, husband. Before the Lord, we got to find out, baby, what is in your heart? What are you crying out for that you feel like you need to die for? What do you want? I am going to give myself to making sure you have it. If we do that, our household will be in order. Amen. Let's pray. Father, on behalf of all of the husbands in this room, I repent before you. Because you have given us a responsibility to love our wives as representatives of Christ. To be living dramatizations of the crucifixion of Jesus. But Lord, we've allowed ourselves to remain children in so many ways. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, we ask you to forgive us. And we ask you, secondly, to grow us up, to make men out of us, to take away our childish ways, to grow us into manhood, to teach us how to love our wives the way Christ loved the church. Husbands, I just want you to take your wife's hand, look into her eyes, turn and face one another. I want you to tell your wife, it's not about me. It's not about me. Our marriage will never be about me again. You've given yourself for me in so many ways. I'm going to give myself for you. I'm going to make sure you have what you need. I'm going to get my needs met from above. I'm going to live Psalm 23 before you because I know that's what makes you secure. Because if I'm not secure in Christ, you'll never be secure in me. But if I'm secure in Christ and you see it in my eyes that I have gone to Jesus and that he's become my all in all. It sets you free to desire me, maybe in the ways that I even would hope and wish that you would desire me. But you can't simply in response to my need. But you can if you see that I've gone to Jesus, and that he's become my everything. I'm going to lead this household the way Christ leads the church, and he began by giving himself. I'm going to begin by giving myself, not by demanding, not by forcing you to do anything. My place as the head of this household is not a place of domination. It is a place of responsibility. 
and I am going to take that responsibility seriously. And any childish ways in me, I'm going to grow out of them. And I'm going to grow up in all things into him who is the head. And I'm going to love you for the rest of your life. I'm going to be a man. Even if you hurt me, I'm going to love you. I'm going to be a man. Forgive me for being a boy. Forgive me for being selfish. Forgive me for putting my needs before yours, for putting my wants before yours, for putting my desires before yours. Forgive me. I'm going to walk a different path now. I'm going to put you first. I just want you to pray together right now. Husbands, I want, to take, I want you to take your place of authority. You have absolute authority, husbands. You have the authority to give yourself. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. I have the power to lay it down, I have the power to take it up again. You have the power to lay down your life for your wife. I want you to take that authority right now. And I want you to pray a prayer of blessing over your wife. And I want you to begin to ask the Lord to speak to you and show you what are the desires of her heart. Jesus said to his church, if you ask me for anything, I'll do it. I want you to love your wife the way Christ loved the church. I want you to tell her, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. If you ask me for anything, I'll do it. I want you to pray a prayer of blessing over your wives right now and release her into new life. Just take a few minutes to do.